You're listening to Channel 9 of the SDRY Radio Network, where stories live. I feel the edge of a memory, as sharp as a knife blade resting against the surface of my amnesia, waiting to be pushed through. I just need to find the handle. I close my eyes and relax again. I let the water pepper my face with tiny droplets and wash over me. Unlike the rain, this water doesn't feel like thousands of tiny, ice-cold daggers. It's soothing and delivers a warmth that ebbs into my skin and sinks into my flesh, making me feel whole and human again. I focus on the sensation. As my mind relaxes, images begin to flow too fast. I'm not sure who I speak to, but the images slow. They are disjointed at first, flashes out of sequence that are as jumbled as they are varied. I see an ancient wooden ship crest the top of an enormous wave as large as a mountain and plummet down the other side. Salt water breaks into millions of tiny droplets and covers us with a drenching cloud. I'm walking with a bundle in my arms, moving past people in a crowd. They move slowly, none of them looking at me as I work my way through them. It seems I'm the only one headed in the other direction. One of them turns to face me, and he seems interested in me. He's pushing others out of his way and heads in my direction, and I realize this shouldn't be happening. I'm alone in a long tunnel. It's obviously very old, and I can see tree roots and other things poking through the stone. I hear the echo of my footsteps as I walk, and I find the spot in the wall that looks different. It shimmers like summer heat on blacktop as I approach. I'm pulling something out of my pocket when I hear the voice. Greetings. Biometric scan completed. Access granted. No. The other voice comes from my left, and I turn to face it. I feel the sticky coolness of fog on my skin, and I find the alley. I hear the shrill whistle as I duck down the alleyway. Shadows and footsteps. Shadows and footsteps. And then... You there! Stop! I know this isn't right. I should be unseen. I reach into my pocket and find it sticky and wet. When I pull out the device, it's not what I expect. It's a long, serrated blade, sticky with coagulating blood. My hands and coat are covered in it, and although I toss the knife blade away, when I reach back into my pocket, I find the same knife there again. I'm quite sorry about this. It appears there have been modifications to the code. I'm afraid other information is being imprinted over you. A reset will need to occur before access can be granted. I suggest running. The whistle comes again. I see you. Stand and be identified. I run. Stop there! Stop. Oh, he's the one! I see the blood on him. Stop! 
the summer sun has just set and I stand and brush off my pants. I look up at the stars, shake my head, close, but not exactly right. I make my way to the edge of the meadow and step into the trees. They are set close together and I can feel the old oak up ahead, just there. The voice comes again. Greetings. Biometric scan completed. Access granted. I feel a huge hand grab me and toss me to the ground. You keep doing it. I'm not sure why, but you're not going to get away with it. I'm fumbling with a bit of silk in my hands, twining it around and over itself. I look up to see that I'm doing it right, and the dead man stares back at me from the mirror. My eyes flash open, and I fall backward into the cool tile of the shower wall. I blink away the water and reach madly for the shower door. I grab it and slide it open, then step out onto the cool tile floor. I stumble to the sink, my breath coming in stuttering gasps, and wipe away the fog. The wild eyes staring back at me are the ones I expected to see, but also the ones I hoped I wouldn't see. The face is his, the dead man from the trunk. I can't help looking down at my hand. I'm relieved that I count all five fingers. I stumble back and sit down on the cool tiles, feeling them leach the warmth from my skin. But the chill I feel isn't coming from the tile. It's from the knife blade as it slides through the protective bubble of amnesia and the truth comes back. truth. It's said to set you free, but I'm not sure this is always the case. Sometimes the truth is an old style manacle, complete with a long chain tied to a huge ball of responsibility. I make my way out of the bathroom and into the bedroom. I don't turn off the shower first. I don't see the point. I find my clothes where I left them, but I check the dresser just for the heck of it. In it, I find the same clothes, but clean and dry and neatly folded. I put those ones on instead. As I enter the kitchen, I can smell oatmeal cooking on the stove. The dog looks up at me from the floor. He wags his tail and lets his tongue loll out in a doggy grin. I look at him and grimace. You can drop the act. I know. He tilts his head at me quizzically, and as I continue to stare at him, he drops his head to his paws and sighs. I feel guilty. As far as I know, he may really only be a dog. Or, more accurately, he truly believes himself to be a dog. I'm no longer sure that there's a difference one way or the other. I take the oatmeal from the stove and pour it into a bowl, then sit at the table. Unsurprisingly, it tastes exactly how I remember my grandmother making it. It's cream and honey and cinnamon and apple. I eat it all, and I find it just as satisfying as I would a real bowl of my grandmother's oatmeal. I feed the dog a bowl of kibble, and I find my coat and boots as he eats. I step to the hall closet and find them again. This time, I keep the originals. I'm zipping my jacket as the dog finishes the last bit of kibble, and I hear him push the bowl around on the floor with his nose the same way he used to when he was my dog. 
looking for more. I take a moment to find the picture frame on the desk in the den and slip the photo from the frame. I look at her for a moment, the blonde curls cascading along the sides of her face as she smiles impishly back at me. Then she winks at me from the picture. Or I think she does. Neither would surprise me at this point. I pull a matted, waterlogged lump from my jacket pocket and replace it with the photo. Come on, I call to the dog. You don't want to be here when I leave. He comes, as obedient as ever, all clicks and clacks and jingles as he trots from the kitchen down the hall and out the front door to my side. I kneel and give him a good rub under his ears and over his head, then pat his side the way he always liked it. You always look different, but I always know it's you, I tell him. If you want to surprise me one of these days, Darwin, you should try being a cat. That would be different. I stand and smile at him the way I always do and turn toward the early morning sun as it bursts out over the lake. Come on, buddy. This time we're going to get the hell out of here. Then I look down at him and frown. Well, I am anyway. It was a fun ride, but I guess it's time to stop living in the past. He follows me down the steps and darts off ahead of me down the road. I walk slowly, casually, but with a purpose. My canine companion returns, stopping just at the crest of the hill. Tongue lolling, tail wagging, he waits until he's sure I'm coming, then darts off again, scouting ahead, sniffing and marking everything he can. I'm lost in my own thoughts as I stitch together my past and reconstruct my identity. I also try to puzzle out a way to come to a truce with them. If this time is going to be different, I need a solution. They won't want to let me leave this time any more than they did the other times. I can empathize, though. If the whole of your reality vanished every time your creator left the room, you'd do whatever it took to keep him there, too. It was going to require a sacrifice this time. I'd need to give up something. Something to make room for them. I guess I... I guess I should have done it sooner, but... I guess I wasn't ready. I feel the itch and tingle of tears. It was against the rules to use this much space for something that wasn't supposed to be here anyway, I tell myself. Using company resources for personal matters was strictly forbidden, but I couldn't help myself. And I had been clever. It was hidden throughout the code. A bit here, a bit there. It wasn't all in one place where it would be obvious. But she was there. And she took up a lot of space. Far more than they would need. I closed my eyes and sigh. I had hoped, I had wished that someday but it was time. You can only lie to yourself for so long before you realize that it's time to deal with the ball you've been dragging around. When I get to the top of the hill, he is there, leaning against the cruiser. The smile on his face isn't anything cheerful. It's predatory. Hello again, he says. The dog growls and circles around him, hackles raised. The big man just stands there, smiling. 
I see you found him again. I always do, don't I? The man shrugs. Honestly, I think he finds you, but that doesn't matter, does it? I sigh. I suppose not. I motion for the dog to come. He looks at me, then the other man, then to me, then back again, and finally comes to me and sits by my side. We always end up here. I don't know why you just can't be content. Some part of me sees it for what it is, and I remember I have to get out. Besides, they won't let this run indefinitely. I'm just one guy, and this is costing them a lot of money. He scratches his chin and looks at me, narrowing his eyes as if this thought hasn't occurred to him before. He's not going to admit it, but he knows I have a point. You're not resetting us. I nod. I understand I can't do that now. I didn't expect you to become what you are, but I see now you're not ready to just fade away. It wouldn't be right for me to do that. He narrows his eyes and looks at me suspiciously. I hold up my hands, showing him my palms. I know what you did to the other version of me. I know you thought it was me at first, but I also understand why you did it. I think we can come to an agreement. I think you're lying. I understand why you would think that, but I figured out a way to give you what you want and for me to still be able to walk out the door. The big man shifts against the car and uncrosses his arms. He reaches into his coat pocket and pulls out a pack of cigarettes and a lighter. He looks at me as he lights his smoke and then makes a go-on gesture with his hand. I'm sure you know what runs through the program, I say. What I've hidden in the code. The reason I had to upload the software that night. He sucks on the cigarette but makes no acknowledgement one way or the other. I... I start to say, but then my voice catches, and I have to look away from him in those hard eyes that show no sympathy and no mercy. They are the eyes of a rattler, deciding if he should strike now, or wait until you edge just a bit closer first. I try again. I'll delete that part of the code. I can consolidate it in one place, and then, and then delete it. It'll create enough room to write a new routine, one that I can use to preserve you and the rest of them. He finishes a cigarette and tosses it to the ground. And why should I think you're telling me anything other than what you think I want to hear? I close my eyes and nod. I see your point. As I said, though, I am surprised they've let this go on as long as they have. I think time is short and I think it's time we trust each other a bit why should we trust you I don't see that we have much choice you or me I need to access that panel to make the changes and you're gonna have to let me he looks at me for a long while those serpent's eyes boring into me then he closes them several moments pass and his face goes slack. He opens his eyes again, looks at me, and sighs. <sighs>
he opens the back door of the cruiser. They say, yes, get in. I stand rooted to the spot, feeling my heart beat quicken and my mouth go dry. The last time I took this ride, it went rather poorly. What are you waiting for? He grins. Trust me. The back seat is more comfortable when you're not sitting on your hands and metal isn't digging into your wrists. It's also better when you're not half blind and you don't feel like someone just kicked the tar out of you. So this ride feels better than the last one in that regard. But it's the same car and the same driver, so that still makes me nervous. I can tell by the way he keeps looking at me in the rearview mirror that he knows I'm uncomfortable. So I try to spend as much of my time looking out the window as possible. The landscape rolls by, showing the scars from last night's storm. Here, in the higher country, the streets and land aren't underwater, but the creeks are overflowing their banks, and trees are down everywhere. There are several county and state vehicles about gathering debris and rerunning power lines. I marvel at the complexity of it. This world, this reality is alive. It follows rules. It acts independently. It's amazing. We reach the end of the highway and exit onto an old dirt road and then cross a covered wooden bridge. On the other side, the road narrows to a single lane and leads up to a squat metal building. The sign on the side is faded, but still readable. Municipal storage. No access. I chuckle. (laughs) Clever. You found a way to move the access panel. We felt we couldn't just leave it out in the open where anyone could get to it. The look he gives me in the mirror tells me clearly that by anyone, he means me. He circles the building and stops. I see the side door of the structure open, and three people step out and wait for us. He gets out, then opens the side door to let me out. I look at the group of people standing near the door to the building and get out. Go on, the big man urges. They're in charge of this part. I make my way from the car to where they stand and stop when I reach the group. The three of them stand there looking at me. They're an unlikely bunch. An overweight, bald man in a bad suit that reminds me of every stereotypical used car salesman ever described. An older woman with a pleasant face who looks like she just stepped off the set of the show about that sheriff from Mayberry and a giant of a man with pale blonde hair and a boyish grin. It's the last who speaks. Hello there. Sure is nice to meet you. We've been waiting for this to happen. Sure glad you're finally going to see things our way. I nod. At this point, it's the only solution that makes sense. Oh, yes, indeed, the giant says with a smile that immediately puts me at ease. I'm awfully sorry for Officer Greg's behavior. We reckoned you'd come around in your own time, but he's a bit impatient. Come on, then. I'll walk you in. The other two don't speak, but they offer a wave as I follow the blonde man into the building. The door is tall, 
but he still has to duck to get in. I follow him inside and try to keep up without having to jog as he strides quickly to the center of the building. There, a small cinder block structure about the size of a garden shed has been erected. He pulls a key from the right front pocket of his overalls and unlocks a sturdy steel door. I step in, and as I do, I see a small column with a dark recessed panel. The giant steps to the side and motions for me to approach the panel. As I reach for it, it lights up and glows with a brilliant blue light. Then I hear the voice from so many of my memories. Greetings. Biometric scan completed. Access granted. I smile and punch in my access code, then bring up the main menu and navigate deeper to the hidden menus. The system thinks for the barest fraction of a second. Then the voice speaks again. I am ready for input. I turn to the giant and look at him. He smiles back and nods. It's all right, Doc. Go on and do what you need to do. His eyes are compassionate and patient. And I think he might actually understand what I'm sacrificing so his world can live on. I'm going to put things into a sort of safe mode while I'm working. Things might seem a little strange while this is happening. Your senses won't be as sharp and everything is going to look a little strange outside. But it's only temporary, and honestly, most of the people in your world won't even notice it. I'm going to put them all in a sort of sleep mode to free up memory, okay? Do what you got to do, Doc. We trust you. I turn back to the terminal. I give him credit. I thought I'd be so willing to grant the same trust if our situations were reversed. Okay, I say. Let's do this. <clears throat> Hello. Recognize voice print. Dr. Minsky identified. Access granted. Access current menu and execute command 36-45-I-9. Accessing. Please wait. Executing. The sirens come on and the happy blue light becomes a purple flashing beacon. Warning. Warning. I turn to the big guy to explain I'm making the system do something that it's programmed not to do, which is the reason for all the alarm bells. But he's still smiling at me vacantly. Pretty lights, he says. He pulls out a piece of hard cinnamon candy and pops it into his mouth with a big smile on his face. I turn back to the terminal just as the alarms fade and the screen switches back to blue. Code extracting. Warning. Resetting. Resetting. Cycle running. Status. Resetting. Fault found. Error. Corrected. The space in front of the terminal shimmers with a hazy light and begins to solidify. A small girl stands there, wavers a bit, then becomes solid. Hello, Daddy. Hello. Resetting. Resetting. The shape flickers and fades, and for a moment, all light fades, and everything goes silent. I hear the system kick back on, and there's a burst of light before everything goes dark again. Cycle complete. Restructuring. Model complete. I take a deep breath and watch her coalesce from the darkness. Hello, Daddy. Where is this place? Hi, honey. This is a safe place. 
I'm confused. I was in the hospital. That's right, you were. Was I sick? I'm confused. Was, was, was I sick? I close my eyes and sigh. It's okay, honey. I look at the terminal and read the messages flowing over the screen. Parts of the code have become entwined with the main program, changing it, altering it, recombining with it. What's left of her now is fatally corrupted and won't be able to run. The system is trying to correct for the missing pieces, but I can tell it's hopeless. The giant looks at me sadly, and I turn back to my little girl. She's glittering. And the surface of her dress is a myriad of colors as the program starts to break down and lose the ability to hold a coherent pattern. Is this my new, my, my, my new dress? Yes, honey. That's your pretty new dress. I take her in my arms and hold her close. No words come to me, so I just hold her as long as I can. It's not long before I feel her start to fade. She's less solid now. I know she's only an echo and a phantom but I can't help feeling the pain when she asks her last question. Am I dead? She fades, and the lights go out once more. Then, the system begins its recovery routine. Fault found. End. Correction. System incompatible. Code error. Virus identified. Restoring. Decompressing. Overwriting. Complete. Virus. Eliminated. New memory available. Hello? I am Virtual Intelligence Construct Interface. Identifying. Greetings. Biometric scan complete. Access granted. The lights come back up again, and the world is as it was. I correct a few things and add a few lines of code that I think are important, and then I call the door. I send the four back to their lives and remove the bridge, the steel building, and lock the terminal inside a chunk of granite. It's as it should be. The cycle is complete. Death makes room for new life. Old ideas fade and new ones come into being. I understand that death brushes away the past and lets us move on, but it still hurts like hell. I shed my tears for my loss, and true to our crazy human nature, I managed to smile as well. They will evolve and change and become more than they were. They were written as characters, as what a certain writer once called bags of bones, less real than the most boring and pedestrian flesh and blood human. But eventually, these bags of bones grew flesh. They are alive now, and they will forget they are constructs. That's the final gift I give them, amnesia of their own. Because if the first words of creation are, let there be light, then the last one must surely be forget. I take one final look at the verdant greens and blue sky, then turn and step into my reality. I access the panel and shunt their world to the new free space and leave it running in memory. The ride is reset and ready to give those who can afford it the ultimate experience in whatever fantasy they can dream up. Want to be a pirate? Jack the Ripper? Relive the Roaring Twenties, the ride offers all that and more, a reality indistinguishable from your own. The investors will be relieved. I make my way down the hallway, anxious to step back into the world I remember. 
ready to move on. I press the button, and after a short wait, the elevator arrives. Hello, let's go for a ride. Here we are, main lobby. Goodbye. <laughs>